Hey, you're listening. <laughs> I tried a different version of hey. I can't do it. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. itself. I think Pablo Picasso said that, right? Could have been Mark Twain. I don't know, but it's definitely got to be someone smart, right? Because it just, just say it with me. Great art sells itself. Just rolls off the tongue. It just feels like a warm security blanket. Like, ah, it's so cozy. Like it's, you know, great art sells itself. It's not my job, to get people to like my work. It's not my job to get people to give my work a chance, to give my work a shot. My job as the artist is to just go in my little room and make great art. End of story, right? Well, it might be more complicated than that. In this episode, I want to challenge that idea, and I want to challenge you to think differently about why people give the art they give a shot to the shot? Why do they do that? Because I think it's something else. I don't think it's just based on merit. Now, if something's good, 
I think that builds trust with an audience. If you watched a movie and you liked that actor, you are more likely to watch another movie that they're in, right? So, you know, the second time they give your work a shot, that might have something to do with the merit of your work. But the first time they click that follow button, the first time they listen to any of your music, how do you get them to do that? How do you get them to give it a shot? Because I've watched a lot of movies that, you know, before I watch a movie, I don't know if you're like me now, you know, we all have a lot of stuff going on where we got to be more diligent about making sure that we don't waste time because there's we're busy. We got tons of things. There's so many options of what to watch. Before I watch a movie, I want to try to know whether I'm going to like it before I watch it. Do you do this? You know, go look on Rotten Tomatoes. Go look at who's in it. Look at who directed it. What did your friends think about it? What, you know, I want, I need a lot of sales before I put that movie on because there's nothing worse to get halfway through a movie and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I decided to do with my night. I thought it was going to be good. I don't want to get in that situation. I don't want to waste a night of my life watching a movie that I didn't want to see. The same goes for an album. I don't know about you, but I'm not quick to try new music, new artists. I'm not quick to dive into a whole album from an artist that I've never heard of. Unless I have a lot of things that lead me to believe that I'm going to like this thing. So what are those things? You know, I think things like great art sells itself. I think that kind of idea is so pervasive in arenas like art because art is subjective. So you can kind of say whatever you want about it as long as it feels good to say. Feels like a babbling brook of pure velvet and silk as it exits your mouth. If it feels like that and that's kind of how it feels to take it in, we're like, yeah, that sounds right. It sounds pure. There's a purity to it. The artist doesn't need to worry about sales. So let's Take it out of the world of subjectivity for a minute. Let's go into, you know, why do people buy anything? Why do they buy what they buy? Again, we think people buy the products that are the best. People buy into, you know, because the merit of the thing. Let's look at the world of medicine. It doesn't get more objective than that. It's, it's often do or die. High stakes. With these high stakes and the objectivity of data, stats, facts, studies, that's got to be why people buy into the medicines that they take, right? Well, let's take vaccines, for example. <laughs> I hope all of you just had a, oh, yikes, he's talking about vaccines. I'm not here to take a stand on vaccines, but I am here to point out why you get a vaccine or you don't has very little to do with the facts and it has everything to do with the story that you buy into. It's not the product you're buying. It's the story. Do you believe Jenny McCarthy's story or do you believe this doctor's story? Who do you believe? Which story do you buy into? Because we don't buy products for their merit. Great products don't sell themselves. Great stories sell products. And I think vaccines are such a great example because 
you know, I was listening to this episode of Hidden Brain. Uh, it's an NPR podcast. And the episode's called Facts Aren't Enough. And that's the kind of clickbaity title. The full title should be Facts Aren't Enough. You got to have stories in order for a medical breakthrough to catch on. It's not as snappy of a, t- of a title, I'll admit. But it's, that's the full story. The full story is medical breakthroughs breakthroughs in medicine that save lives, that cure people, don't go viral, get it, it's a pun, on their own, even if they're life-saving, even if there are peer-reviewed, emphatic studies that say this thing saves lives. People are not quick to adopt it. And in this episode, they go into these individual medical breakthroughs. We're going to go through them in a bit because I think there's a there's real marketing lessons for creative people. But they go through how these medical breakthroughs ended up catching on. And the first one they talk about is vaccines. It's really interesting because, you know, we live in this time where – you know, the educated, the, the scientific community, they, their whole attitude is humanity has rejected science. And I think if you, you know, you go back, you're going to see that in the same way that, you know, people do or don't take vaccines because an influencer like Jenny McCarthy tells a story that they believe, you're going to see that same reason, that same story played out when vaccines first caught on. So back in the day when the person that was bringing vaccines to England brought this cure to the community, the community didn't want anything of it. They didn't want anything to do with this doctor. And it wasn't until she convinced, I think it was the Duchess of Wales, to get vaccinated and vaccinate her kids that it started to catch on. Who was the Duchess of Wales? She was this highfalutin royalty that the general public was obsessed with. She was an influencer in her day. That's how vaccines caught on in the first place. And so I just want to, first of all, just reject this idea that somehow it's a new thing that humanity has rejected science. And I would like to suppose that maybe what's actually happening, the actual new thing is that science has rejected the humanities, that scientists sit in their little room and they make their medicine and they say, it's not my job to tell a great story. It's not my job to convince you My job is to make great medicine and put it out there. But I feel like if you've got the cure to a disease and you don't do everything it takes to convince those who are inflicted to take the cure, you're not a hero. You're a villain. And you might say, Andy, look, that's all well and good when you're talking about medicine and it's saving lives and these are the high stakes. But we're talking about art. And uh, I'm going to be frank with you for a minute. It's not going to be cool. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to be completely speaking from the heart. And it's, I feel a little bit vulnerable talking like this because I know there's a lot of people that think the contrary, but I actually believe that art does 
have the potential to save lives. You know, I think about, uh, you know, going, going through high school, I was in a really dark time um, and really struggling, deep depression, didn't really want to be alive, actually. And I stumbled upon this band called Modest Mouse, and I felt seen. And I and I and I dove into it, and I and I got part of a scene of other people that felt like me, and their marketing and their brand and the story around their music was fantastic, and I've got to believe that's part of the reason that I gave it a shot. Part of it was I had a friend tell me that it was great. That was part of the story that was told. And he told me about the band. He told me the origin story. He told, you know, he's telling me all the whole vibe of this thing. And I bought into the story. And then I bought into the album. And I actually bought the album. And I listened to it over and over. And I bought into that community. And that album, that music, turned my high school career around. And I felt like I was part of something. And I felt like I was okay. And I know it's not cool to be so sincere, but I got to tell you, I do think sometimes whether someone buys into your art or not is do or die. And if you don't do everything that it takes, if you've got this elixir, if you've went out on your journey, you know, we're doing this series. It's uh, the Creative Elixir series. We've done three episodes on it already. We've mostly talked about the first half of the creative journey. It mirrors the hero's journey. And it's about the hero or the artist is going out to find their gift, to find their elixir to find what they can uniquely make that is their supernatural creative magic. And this is about putting in your 10,000 hours. It's about finding your craft. It's about finding how to make creative work that seems like more than the sum of its parts. And that part of the journey is so important. It is your job to make great art. But I would argue that it is also your job to bring it home. It is also your job to get it into the hands that are inflicted just like you were. The reason you made this art, the reason you had to become an artist. There are people that are dying for that elixir. And so a rookie hero goes and finds the elixir and they spend all their time coming home fantasizing about the fanfare that they're going to be received with when they get back. You know, they imagine like when I stroll into town with the elixir to cure this ill, the whole townspeople will be like, yay, and lining up to partake in this elixir and the cure. But that's not what happens. Because when they get back, everyone's skeptical. Who are you? What is this elixir? How do we know that it works? And so instead, they should be spending that entire road back crafting a story. And, you know, I wonder sometimes why they don't. And I think it comes from the fact that the villain, because the villain knows that they don't actually have an elixir, they know that they've got to come up with a good story. Their whole way back to this town trying to beat the hero before he even gets there, it's all marketing tactics. It's all illusion. It's all story. They're a snake oil artisan. 
They didn't go on the first journey to actually get the elixir. All they're concerned with is the payday. And this is why marketing gets a bad rap in the creative world is because there's a lot of huckster creative people out there that don't have the creative gift. They never went on part one, but they're out here doing sales funnels and marketing tactics and, you know, just every, you know, they're crushing it on the marketing side, but they're marketing a hollow elixir. And that by association makes it feel like testimonials or a trailer or, you know, uh, uh, influencer marketing, get all, whatever it is, it gives it a bad name. And I want to convince you in this episode that we don't buy great art. We buy great stories. And the seasoned hero that cares about their people, they're going to do whatever it takes to sell the elixir. They're going to go get the elixir but they're gonna go do it justice and bring it home. So for the purposes of this episode, we are going to be talking about marketing as synonymous with good storytelling. You know, a lot of people think marketing is direct promo, emails, you know, all the sales side, but marketing is really much more about how you position yourself within your industry. How do you communicate? What's your messaging? What's your brand strategy? You know, who who are you communicating that you are? to potential fans or customers or an audience. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about marketing as storytelling. And for that reason, we're going to go through the lens of some core story tropes in the story where things get serious. They run into a series of challenges. They, they, they get their allies They go through their tests and they battle with enemies. And each one of these, I think, holds a secret on how to tell the story of our elixir, to tell the story of our creative work. What is your story? Your story is, why is your elixir the cure? What is your creative magic all about? You know, you've spent all of this time getting the elixir. You know it. You know your creative work. You know why you like it. You know why you made it. That's your story. So let's talk about how to tell it to your potential audience. Number one, first thing you got to do, allies. You got to get some allies. We talked about this idea already. Let's go to the medical community. How did they get people to give vaccines a shot? A pun, another, <laughs> another pun. Uh, how did they get him to give it a shot? They had influencers. They had people that people trust say, you should try this thing, right? See it all the time. We do it in movie trailers. We say, the New York Times like this. But it's not just random. It's just not, it's not just like the Times. It's the, the Washington Post. Da, 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 da. They pick 
very particular testimonials that they believe will resonate with the audience that they're speaking to. They're trying to speak to a very particular target market. Now, I'm not even suggesting that you need to go get influencers to rep your brand. Now, I do think that collaboration is kind of the equivalent in creativity. You know, the people that collaborate with you, those are the people vouching for you. And they're saying, if you like this artist, you might like that artist. I always think about uh, Zach Galifianakis live at the Purple Onion. He, he, I don't remember what the joke is, but the punchline is, if you like Barry Manilow, you're going to love the insane clown posse. Um that's a terrible, it's the opposite of what I'm trying to communicate here. But even without influencers vouching for you, even without big collaborations, the way that you can get started in telling your story is tap into influencer uh, effect through sharing your influences. You know, if you're out there as a designer saying, yo, I'm a huge fan of Paul Rand and Saul Bass and Vim Crowell and, you know, these people, you're aligning with them. You're saying, if you like Paul Rand, you might like me. And then when people see that on your Instagram stories and they have a friend that's obsessed with Paul Rand, they're likely to send your profile to them, right? So do... Uh, messaging around your influences. That's a way to get a vouch from people that might not even be on this planet anymore. You know, for me personally, I, I remember hearing Aaron Draplin talk about this a few years ago when I listened to him do a talk live. He talked about, you know, how did he get to work with NASA? Well, he never shut up about NASA being an inspiration. You know, put it out there. Be loud about your influences and passions and inspirations and tell people like you that you are like them. Don't hide it. Don't cover up your influences. It is a key to telling your story. Number two, the second thing, test it out. Now, I've been loud about this on the podcast because I believe that it requires an amount, a, a crazy amount of bravery to do this, but it is super, super essential. And it's testing your own work, being your own guinea pig. Back to the uh, Hidden Brain episode, they talk about the guy who cures these stomach ulcers. The whole scientific community won't publish any of his papers because they thought they already had it figured out. But he knew that it worked. He knew that he'd cracked it. And so he injected himself with the disease and cured himself to get the attention of the medical community. It's a good story, right? That's why people bought it the same story as the person that invented the bulletproof vest. Nobody would pay attention. Nobody believed it was possible until he put on the vest and paid a friend to shoot him. Right? It's a great story. That's why people bought into it. That's why it caught on. And so if you want people to buy your hats, wear your hats and wear them like they're the best damn hats in the market. That's what Draplin does, right? I don't know. I, did, I didn't know this this episode is going to be so inspired by Draplin. But my favorite artists do that. They rep their own stuff. We said it in a recent podcast. You don't buy a Toyota from some guy who drives a Honda. You know, make paintings for your house. Be your first client. Believe in yourself before other people do. I've seen it. Like uh, I, have, I have friends, people that are close to me that, you know, th some of their most 
powerful messaging of their creative work, their art, is the photos of those things in their house. You're showing the context. You're telling the story. If you don't buy into it, if you don't rep it, if you don't wear it, why do you expect anybody else to? So test it. The third one is enemies, and I really like this one. So back to medicine, this idea of how did we get people to start washing their hands? How do we get doctors to start washing their hands? Again, a medical breakthrough, soap. It saves lives. There's no doubt about it. It was a huge breakthrough in humanity. Crazy saved, changed the amount of people that died in hospitals when soap was invented. But it was not easy to get doctors to wash their hands. Why? We need to understand what the enemy is here. The enemy was their ego. Because by saying you need to wash your hands, doctors, you're telling these respectable, you know, proud, confident people, you're dirty. And it's why you're why people are dying. They got into this profession to save lives. And you're telling them it's their fault that people are dying. And the enemy was the ego in that case. And once they identified it, they realized I can tell them a different story. Instead of shaming them into washing their hands, let's make it a game of something that they can achieve because these people are achievers, right? They picked the hardest profession. So let's, the, they've found that the hospitals with the best hand-washing stats are those that make it a community game for the medical professionals. This is how many hands were washed and this is our goal and da-da-da-da-da. Like, they change by identifying the enemy, they were able to tell the right story. And, you know, I think it's interesting. There's a parallel to vaccines. Like by studying the disease, we developed the cure. So what's the problem that you're trying to solve? You know, when, when people are interacting with your art, what are the reasons why they might not follow you? If you think about... Uh, what's scary about buying into your practice? Part of it, it might be that your creativity challenges the status quo. That by following you, they are breaking from the pack. So you need to understand who are your enemies. I love this idea from um, George Steiner, who is a philosopher and novelist. And he had this idea that in a utopia, there would be no critics, that the only way to critique creative work would be to make your own creative work is to say, you know what? The movie, I'm, I didn't love it. Here's what I would have made. And you make it. And I actually think that is maybe a big, big secret in creativity. We talked about how anger is a secondary emotion, right? Like... Anger, it's not the first emotion you feel when something happens. Anger is pain bubbling up, sadness bubbling up, justice bubbling up, mercy bubbling up. Like anger is when you feel something so strongly that it boils within you and like the steam out of a teapot, it just can't, it has to escape. That's anger. That's rage. That's lashing out. And so you can look at in your industry, in the creative neck of the woods that you're part of, 
who are the creators that are just pissing you off? Like they're putting messages out into the world that are just, uh, you know, enraging you and ask yourself why, you know, every episode of this podcast starts with a thesis that I want to attack this episode, the perfect example Great art sells itself. This is a pervasive, insidious idea in the creative community. And I wanted to say, here's my antithesis. Here's my antithesis to that idea that people don't buy great art. They buy great stories. And so if you can start to identify who who am I critiquing with my creation, you can start addressing the concerns. You can start addressing the enemies, the obstacles in between you and getting that buy-in in a more direct way. You can say, oh, I know the reason doctors, once they knew that doctors weren't washing their hands because they, they thought it made them admit that they were dirty, that it was hurting their ego, they could flip the script. They could tell a different story. And so ask yourself, you know, I love the James Murphy quote, the best way to complain is to make something. So identify it. Who are the enemies? What are the enemies? What are the obstacles of why people might not buy into you? I can think of many for me. You know, I, there's all kinds of reasons and, and, and we address them. We, we think about, you know, what, what is it about the show that there's portions of the target market that we feel like this show, they would love it if they give it a chance. Why might they not? Well, because we have these types of guests and that type of person. What, how can we remedy this? How can we make some new allies? Right? So identify the enemies. All right, we got a little bit of homework for you to get started on telling your story. You know, I think uh, one of the best ways to tell your story is to actually make autobiographical work, is to tell it in the work, not just around it, but through it. You know, uh, when I made the Invisible Things post, that was me saying, this is the key to my work. This is, if you're looking at my work, this is what you're seeing. This is it. And I just laid it on thick. If you're a musician, what about writing a song that tells your story? You know, podcasts, I feel like it's a great way to tell your story. You know, the, the breakout comedians of our time, a lot of them started with the podcast. A lot of these people, before anyone got into their comedy, they fell in love with the story of Mark Maron and Pete Holmes and, and, and all these folks. So figure out ways to tell your story. Do it through creative work. That's the best way to do it. But just to get you started, I got a fun little activity that is doing it for me. And I thought I'm having a good time with it. Uh, so recently I saw the movie King of Staten Island with uh, Pete Davidson. It's a Judd Apatow film. And uh, I, because in the trailer, there is a Kid Cudi song called Pursuit of Happiness. It's like a decade old. Because of that, I've been listening to that song all the time while I've been running. And I kept being struck by how much of a creative soulmate Kid Cudi is to Pete Davidson. There's just like really good alignment there. And that song is so perfect for that trailer and for the movie. Such a perfect theme song. And uh, it, it, it really brought to life my desire to watch that movie, that trailer. 
it just sold me on it. It was like, man, this, it feels good. And I love that Judd Apatow is one of the only living great talent scouts out there these days. Like we live in a time where the internet makes you prove yourself, you know, makes you rise to the top, makes you discover your own greatness and tell that story uh, before anybody else does. But I love that Judd Apatow has made it his business to find people who he found interesting and figure out what would it look like for them to star in the movie. You know, Steve Carell, before he was in 40-Year-Old Virgin, he had some breakout bit parts with Bruce Almighty and Anchorman. Like, he stole the show. But even at that time, I remember loving those characters and kind of thinking, yeah, but, you know, he's a side character. Like, I don't really see how he could be the star. Like, I never saw coming The Office and all that after, um, you know, 40-Year-Old Virgin. So, Judd saw this gift and said, what would a movie that tells this type of artist story look like? And that's what he likes to create. And he did the same thing with Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson, you know, I know he dated Ariana Grande and I'd seen his special and thought he was pretty funny, but I never saw him as like a breakout all-star until I watched this movie and it told his story almost literally. And so... Tell your story because I don't know if Jad Apatow is going to be knocking on your door telling you, you got to put this Kid Cudi song in. I mean, I'm guessing that was Pete's move, but ask yourself, what would be the theme song of your based on real life art journey? Well, what's the perfect theme song? And I got on uh, creativepeptalk.com slash theme song. You can download a little Instagram story template that will help you share your theme song. And I was thinking about it for myself and I was thinking, um, you know, maybe, uh, I should have known better that song by Sufjan Stevens, but I thought, no, it's too folky. It's too sophisticated for old Andy J pizza. I need something with more noise or, you know, something, something weirder. And just kept thinking, I thought maybe Bell and Sebastian, um, get me away from here. I'm dying. I love the emo-ness of that song. I love that it's kind of like a, uh, it's about stories, which is my thing. And But I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not brooding or British enough to pull that off as my theme song. And then it hit me. And I figured out the song that it has to be. Right? This is it. That's my theme song. If you don't know, obviously this is the theme song of the show. It's the band Y. And uh, it's just so good. This is my theme song. This, this, I was a huge fan of Y before I ever got this as my theme song. They were like my favorite. They had my favorite album in college. I felt so seen by this Midwesterner with a nasally voice, not unlike my own, um, who grew up listening to rap and got into indie music. And I just, his story, yeah, it just resonates with me. So if I have a, a movie, the trailer, I think it's gonna have this tune. Someone down on 
So that's it. That's your homework. So that's it. I was talking to a buddy of mine, Colin Rigsby. Uh, he's a musician, goes by the name Vespertine in the music, and he used to be in a band called uh, House for Heroes, and he lives in the house next door to me. And we uh, have chats over the fence. It's uh, you know been nice with COVID, not being able to properly get together with people, like having a friend close-ish. But we were talking about these ideas, and one of the things he brought up was uh, you know American Idol. You know, is it the most talented person that wins the competition or is it the person with the best story? And I think that they're kind of inseparable. You know, back to the medical field, I ran across this term that I'd never heard. It's called narrative medicine. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I looked into it a little bit and there's this whole creative course for medical professionals and creative people at one of the top schools in the country, Columbia, has a whole master's program on narrative medicine. And it's this breakout field within the medical community that's just progressing rapidly right now. And here's what they're realizing. There is no great medicine without a great story. That the stories that their patients are telling them, the stories that the doctors are telling them, grounding the patients within a narrative beginning, middle, and end, healing through metaphor and narrative and story is essential to a medical practice being great and successful. And it got me thinking, maybe it's true. Maybe great art does sell itself if by great art you mean art with a great story because I don't think it's the most talented on idol that wins or the best story. I think the talent comes from the story. I think it's both. It's they're inseparable. You know, in culture, we see it all the time. We cannot separate the art from the artist. It's why all these people like it or not are being canceled is that the, the story around your art matters in how we consume it. And there's no better way to tell your creative story than with your actual life. And so 
if you will take this responsibility, take it seriously, take the the journey to finding your gift as seriously as you do giving it away and telling its story and selling it to the rest of humanity. I believe that some really important narrative medicine will be given a shot. get to check out that homework creativepeptalk.com slash theme song go share your theme song you can go into instagram stories click music and actually share the song and tell people what your soundtrack sounds like and what your trailer sounds like and what your art the story of your art sounds like give them a little synesthetic leap on how to understand your practice and buy into it Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for my theme song, the theme song of this show. Thanks to Alex Sugg and all of his music for the soundtrack. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing this show so beautifully. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for managing me and and sponsorships and and all this stuff. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.